come Holy Spirit and heal us and then set us to acts of service for those around us, for our world, and for you. Amen. So, Georgia Gilmore is a figure of the civil rights movement that I had not known about until this past week. She was a Montgomery cook and midwife and activist, and she fed the civil rights movement, more or less. When the Montgomery bus boycott demanded that a lot of people couldn't get to their jobs or had lost a part of their livelihood, she organized dozens of women to prepare food and baked goods to sell to keep people's lives going. When Dr. Martin Luther King was arrested in Montgomery, she gave sworn testimony on his behalf that was so um, forthright (laughs) that she lost her job. And as a result, Dr. King encouraged her to open up her own informal restaurant, which she did. And over the course of years in her house, she fed all the great names of the civil rights movement and even Robert Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. Her home became a kind of hub of the civil rights movement. Now, she's not nearly as famous as some of the the major names of that period, but she's an important figure in her own right, but also from what she signifies, which is God used hundreds of people like Georgia Gilmer, whose names are lost to history, to change the world through that movement. I thought of her in relation to Peter's mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, who seems to have a role in supporting of the Jesus movement in its early days in Capernaum, but she also stands for dozens, hundreds, thousands of people whose names are lost to history who supported the Jesus movement, who kept it going. You know, the New Testament is more focused more on the roles of men in the Jesus movement than it is of women because the first century was a patriarchal time where women were actively oppressed. But it's even more fascinating to think about how women had less freedom and less power than men did in the first century, and yet they used what freedom and power they did have to be major supporters and funders in many cases of the Jesus movement. And in that vein... There's a comparison happening in the reading that you just heard that I don't want you to miss. There's a comparison that goes on between how Peter's mother-in-law responds to Jesus and how the disciples respond. The result being that the kingdom of God is like your mother-in-law, or at least Peter's mother-in-law. All right, so as you just heard the story, Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. Jesus goes to her, takes her by the hand, which is a beautiful detail. It's a very simple detail. Takes her by the hand and raises her up, and her fever leaves her, and then she goes about serving them. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of bump against that phrase because I'm kind of thinking like, well, she just had a fever. Maybe they should be serving her. She should have her feet kicked up. But the word we translate as serve is actually a very important word. It's diakoneo. Diakoneo. And it's used a lot in the New Testament. In fact, when Jesus says about himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, he uses diakoneo. In fact, when Jesus describes what it looks like 
to respond to the grace of God. That's one of the main words he uses, to serve. It means to minister. It means to care for. It means to kick up the dust with practical activity on behalf of another. What Peter's mother-in-law does in a very simple act of service is typical and exemplifies a Christian response to Jesus, which is to be energized in the life of service. Diakoneo is the basis for our word deacon. To serve is to follow Christ. Now, let's compare that. Very simple description of Peter's mother-in-law's response to Jesus. Let's compare that to how the disciples are functioning in this story. And by comparison to her simple act of service, the disciples are involved in a lot of active flurrying and worrying. Running around throughout the story. Jesus gets up early in the morning and he goes out to a place to pray, a deserted place. And then Mark says that the disciples went and hunted for him. Now, doesn't that word kind of jump off the page? They went and hunted for him. Now, that same word is used in different places in the Bible for hunting, praying, stalking, even oppressing in different cases. There seems to be a comment in the story today that they are using Jesus, in this case, for their own purposes. They're hunting after him. And when they find him, they say to him, everyone is searching for you. Now, there's a note of reproach in that. Everyone is searching for you. They're saying to him, Jesus, our viewer engagement is really down this morning. The miracles are great, but you've got to work on your TikTok moves. There's a sense that they, at this point in their relationship with Christ, are using him for their own means as opposed to serving him as Peter's mother-in-law has just done. Now, this reminds me of one of the most important dialogues in the Gospels. A few chapters later, at a place called Caesarea Philippi, Jesus is going to turn to these same disciples and ask them a question. He's going to say, who do people say that I am? And they've got a lot of ideas. Some say the prophet. Some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist, reborn. And then Jesus says this amazing question. He says, who do you say that I am? And you kind of imagine that they've got less to say. Peter steps up as a spokesperson for the disciples, and he says, you are the Messiah. It's the first time we've said this in the story. And Jesus congratulates Peter for saying that. And for the first time, Jesus says, yes, I am the Messiah. And the way I'm going to be the Messiah is that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'll rise again. Now, it's important for us to know no one had ever talked about the Messiah in those terms. There is no dying Messiah expectation. There is no crucified Lord hope yet in the world. It's an offensive idea, the idea that the Messiah would go and die. In fact, it's so offensive that Mark tells us that Peter does what? Peter rebuked Jesus. Now, that jumps off the page. Peter rebuked Jesus. That's what it means to be a sinner. That when we meet grace... We oppose it. When God comes into the world to love us, we say no. We tell God God's doing it all wrong. I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. And then Jesus says the harshest thing he says in the New Testament. He says, get behind me, Satan, for your mind is set on earthly things, not on things heavenly. The disciples have not yet learned that their role is simply to serve, 
not to set the agenda. So why does Peter's mother-in-law seems to get seems to get it, and why do the disciples not get it? A couple ideas. She's a woman. Women have a knack for faith in the 21st century and the first. She's also an oppressed minority, and it is the oppressed, persecuted people, slaves, eunuchs, poor people, widows, women, peasants, who streamed to the Jesus movement in the first three centuries of its life because they knew it to be good news, deliverance to the captives. But also she's been healed by Jesus. And being healed by the Lord elicits faith. Being healed by Jesus brings faith out of us and draws service out of us. The disciples have not yet been healed because they don't know that they're sick. They've not been reborn because they haven't died yet, but they will. And in their failure, they will find the Lord taking them by the hand and restoring them. And then they will commit themselves to not setting the agenda for the Jesus movement, but serving the Lord in amazing acts of faith, love, hope, and in their cases, martyrdom. Peter's mother-in-law, who has no name in this passage, is the saint of the passage. You got a an image, a, a bit of art on the front of your order of service today, and it's called Saint Woman by an artist named Amy Sherald, and it's a remarkable piece of art. I saw it when I went to the Seattle Art Museum. It's a huge painting. It's an amazing piece. I kind of laughed to myself that I, here I was in the Seattle Art Museum just really geeking out and loving taking in this art, and the artist is from Columbus, Georgia. But what I love about this piece of art is that this is a depiction of a normal woman who actu actuality is a saint, that God is using her. So, beloved, I guess the good news today is that in the week to come, we can look for the ways that God is using other people that we might not realize or understand that we ourselves are being used in our everyday activities, that the kingdom of God is here and among us, even, and maybe especially, in our mothers-in-law. Thanks be to God.